And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people. And proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of all of you and to all the people of Israel by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under the heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were under uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man whom, who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they, came, when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a noble sign has been performed through them is evident to all inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom... This sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. This is God's word. Thank you, Brent. Before we look at the uh, message today, I have a, a bit of a kind of a bringing you up to speed on an important decision that uh, we're going to be asking our members to make at our congregational meeting on uh, March 23rd, and that is a decision to modify our church name. 
If you've been around for a while, this is a conversation that we've been having really for 10, 12 years, uh, a number of different times we've pressed into it, and for various reasons it wasn't the right time, but uh, over the last two years, leadership has been uh, uh, thinking and praying, talking about this a lot, and we believe uh, now really is the right time. So that's a decision we're going to be asking our members to affirm. Um, When you rightly understand our current name, uh, there's a great meaning to it. The problem is that most people who are not part of us, who kind of have no awareness of what the EFCA is, uh, our name honestly is long and confusing, and it's hard to remember. It's hard to say. Sometimes I'm talking to people on the phone, and I, and I have a hard time spelling evangelical if I don't see it written out. I mean, it's just it's that, it's that kind of name. But uh, as well, the term evangelical, um, most people who don't know what that, not, I don't want to say most, but there are a number of people where that term has become, really, when they hear it, they just hear political cultural connotations. They don't hear that it means about the, 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 we present the good news and we stand on the authority of Scripture. That's not the connotation they make. And, you know, our calling as a church is to, uh, it's a great commission. It's about making disciples. It's proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ and helping people come into a relationship with him and then walk as disciples of Jesus. And we believe it, it is wise for us to remove any unnecessary barriers to the gospel. There's enough barriers to the gospel anyway, right? Just what it takes to believe and humility and all that. But we should remove unnecessary barriers. And we think at times our name has served as a bit of an unnecessary barrier. And so on March 23rd at this congregational meeting, we're asking the members of faith to affirm a modified name change to Faith Manhattan Church. Faith Manhattan Church. Some of you thought, I thought that was already your name. It is kind of our handles on social media and stuff like that. But uh, we believe that this name will serve us well. It retains faith, which is really how we are known in, in the community. Uh, it roots us in the community that we're seeking to reach. So Faith Manhattan Church is uh, what we were asking uh, our members to affirm as we continue to seek to reach Manhattan with the good news of Jesus Christ. We do want to be clear there is nothing about this that's any kind of movement away from the Evangelical Free Church of America, our denominational affiliation. We love this movement. We love the, the theology of the Evangelical Free Church of America. So there's no movement away from our affiliation. Uh, we want to make sure for those that are moving to town that uh, they can find us. So those that are looking for an EFCA church, it will be apparent on the website. But uh, if you have any questions about this process, next Sunday... Between uh, like at 9 to 9.30 and then after this service, so uh, 10.30 to 11, well, there'll, there'll be some Q&A times with some leaders. I'll be there uh, next week down in the commons. So if you have questions about this name change uh, process, uh, please stop by. Uh, reach out to any elders even before then if you have questions. So just want to make you aware of that important discussion that's happening. A couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I had an opportunity to grab coffee with a, a guy that I've been getting to know over the last couple of years, and <clears throat> we were having a great conversation about this and that. And at one point in the conversation, I felt a sense of like, uh, take the risk and uh, kind of broach spiritual conversation. And so I, I basically just asked him, you know, I, I, I really don't know a lot about your, your background, how you think about spiritual things and God and church and stuff like that. Would you be willing to tell me a little bit about your spiritual background? And, and he was willing. And so he shared a bit about his spiritual journey, how he thought about these things. Thanked him and, and asked if I could share how I tend to think about these things. And he said, sure. And so I shared my testimony with him and uh, was able to describe uh, the reality of, of what I understand it means for, for one to come into a relationship with God. 
We had an amazing spiritual conversation. I walked away, and it's clear that we're in different places. He thinks differently about it than I do, but it was a, a friendly, interesting spiritual conversation. I walked away giving thanks to Jesus that he'd open up that door for that conversation. Jesus has called us to make him known. This is part of our calling as followers of Jesus. And I would suggest that what I experienced a few weeks ago in that conversation with my friend, that that kind of interaction about spiritual things is a very common way that sharing the good news about Jesus happens in our culture. It happens around, right around here. I'm not saying it always is. Sometimes there's opposition. Sometimes there's, there's, there's more challenges. But I, but I do think that for, for most part, that's the way it actually happens when we take that risk and share the good news about Jesus. The reality is that's a pretty normal experience for us when we take that risk. A number of years ago in a Christianity Today editorial, David Neff made the, the comment that American Christians, we do not tend to lead typical Christian lives. He said this, the typical Christian lives in a developing country, speaks a non-European language, and exists under the constant threat of persecution. It is they who live the normal Christian life, and we who exist in a parenthesis of toleration. When you think about most Christians who've ever lived in many places and many times, the normal experience has been opposition to the gospel. God in his grace has allowed us to live in what Neff calls this parenthesis of toleration. In large part, uh, there's great toleration for when we have an opportunity to speak of Jesus. Now, it may be true since Neff wrote that that there's less and less toleration in our country when we bring up the Christian faith. But I think we still live in that parenthesis of toleration. We, we really can share the gospel with very little threat. I'm not saying it's always that way. I'm not saying it's, there's not opposition at times. But for the most part, what we experience maybe is being judged for, for being intolerant or narrow-minded, claiming that Jesus is the only way. But for most Christians around the world through time, it's been a very diff different thing. They have faced, and they do face, opposition for the gospel. And they have lived the normal Christian life, opposition to the gospel. Today as we come to Acts 4, we see the beginnings of opposition to the, the, the gospel. And as we continue our study through the book of Acts, we'll see this, this opposition will grow in intensity and ferocity and danger for the early church. So we look at this passage today, though, I think there are several things that, that can enable us to, to be courageous, to, to be bold, to share about Jesus, whether we're sitting across a table from a friend that we hope we can bring up a spiritual topic, or whether we're in a situation that has some actual opposition and, and risk to it. I think the same things they experience here can give us that courage, regardless of whether we're facing actual opposition or not. And so I want to look at this passage, Acts 4. If, if you were here last week, you know it, it, it hangs, it's a continuation of what we looked at last week where Peter and John had healed the lame man, lame from birth in Jesus' name. And the crowd had responded in, in wonder to what they had seen. And Peter had stood up and he proclaimed that it was by the power of Jesus, the risen Jesus, that that man had been made well. And Peter had urged the crowd to repent and that in doing so they would find forgiveness in times of refreshing. 
that message found great receptivity among the people, but opposition from the religious leaders. So we read, saw, heard just a minute ago, they were actually, the religious leaders were greatly annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And so it tells us the priests, the captain of the temple guard, the Sadducees, all these people responsible for, for the religious life and worship at the temple, they come and, and uh, they, they arrest them, it says, and they put them in jail until the next morning. The Sadducees, um, part of the group that, that, was, uh, that came to arrest them, they were a group of priests from the high priestly class, and they didn't believe in the bodily resurrection. They were also loyal to the Roman government, and, and they, they, they believed in maintaining the status quo. They believed that, that if people began to believe what, what Peter and John and the early church were, were preaching, uh, all this it was in contradiction to what they believed, that they would lose their authority as spiritual leaders, and they were concerned that what that might mean for life under Roman rule, if people began to follow this new teaching, it would not be following the status quo. Greatly annoyed by what they're teaching. But we hear in verse 4, though, they arrest them. The message cannot be stopped. It's already fallen on receptive hearts. And, and it says the number of men came to be about 5,000, which means there's more than 5,000, right, when you had women and children who believed. So you go from 120 in Acts chapter 1, the believers that were gathered there on that day before Pentecost, to 3,000 in Acts chapter 2, and now there's over 5,000 believers. The gospel is growing. It's expanding. It's amazing growth. Verse 5, Luke says, On the next day there are rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who are of, high pri of the high priestly family. This is a gathering of the Sanhedrin. This is a gathering of the kind of the supreme Jewish uh, council, supreme council. And Annas and Caiaphas are there. If you read today's Lent reading in the Lent guide, you, you saw their names. I mean, they were there before Jesus. They were ruling as high priests when Jesus was born. At this time, uh, Annas, though it's, he's called the high priest, uh, Caiaphas is the, is the current high priest. Annas is apparently called high priest because he'd been so influential. Both of these had sat at judgment of Jesus at his trial. Peter and John are facing an influential, powerful group. They really were. Can you imagine being in that place? The next morning when they bring him in verse 7, it says, And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? They specifically want to know, By what authority have you done this? And specifically, they want to know if Peter and John will insist on tying this miracle to Jesus. See, I think if they would have just said sort of some vague God language that, that by God, in his power, we healed this person, and if they didn't tie it to a resurrected Jesus, they probably would have just been fine. And so they want to see, would they tie the miracle to a claim that Jesus was bodily resurrected, that he was alive, that he had done this? Because that claim could not be tolerated. And so they confront him with this question. By what name? By what power? I mean, talk about an open door, right? Peter's going to walk through that. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and I, and I want to just say a word about 
this filled with the Holy Spirit and, and what that means. Um, on the day of Pentecost, we, we read about how uh, in, in fulfillment of a prophecy in Micah that, that, or Joel that uh, God had sent forth his spirit and had come upon all the believers. And, and so what, what Scripture teaches, what Peter's experience at this moment was, was the spirit was a permanent indwelling presence already in his life, had been since the coming of the spirit of Pentecost. And that's true for every believer. The moment you believe in Jesus Christ, the spirit comes to dwell within you in full measure as a permanent indwelling presence presence. And so when it uses the language of filled, it's not like more spirit is coming into Peter's life. The spirit is there in full measure in Peter's life. What's happening here is is a fresh empowerment, special empowerment, inspiration by the Holy Spirit for this moment, for this challenge. Jesus had told his disciples that you're going to be in situations like this. You're going to be brought before kings and rulers and determine ahead of time not to, to figure out what you're going to say ahead of time, right? Do you remember he said that? He said, because the Spirit will show you and tell you what to say when you're brought there. And that's what Peter experiences here. That's part of the feeling of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit leads, guides Peter in terms of what he says. And so he says, rulers of the people and elders, if, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Peter couldn't be more clear, right? He makes the connection between this miracle and a resurrected Christ. It's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that this man stands before you in perfect health. This man's there. He, he was there that next day. He came back for the trial, right, to this hearing. Now, when Peter says, by the name of Jesus Christ, he's not saying that like that's Jesus' proper name. It's, it's a title that he's speaking. He's saying, by the name of Jesus, the Messiah, this man stands before you in perfect health. In other words, the religious leaders, they had missed it. They had, they had failed to recognize Israel's promised Messiah. Instead, they had crucified him. But Peter boldly proclaims that God raised Jesus up from the dead. And the fact that the man is standing before them in perfect health is evidence that Jesus is alive. And of course, Peter knew he was alive, right? He had seen him after after he'd been resurrected, he had talked to him, he'd eaten with him, he was convinced of these things. Peter then, in verse 11, uses Psalm 118.22 to give a theological explanation for their rejection of Jesus. He says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. So they're the builders, these leaders, they're the builders of the Jewish faith, Right? But the stone, Jesus was the cornerstone. He was the most important stone. The cornerstone is the stone that, that, that bore the way to the building, that set the angle of the building. It was the most important stone. But the leaders had missed it. They rejected Jesus, who was the cornerstone. Through their crucifixion of Jesus, they had rejected the one who was the ultimate fulfillment of their faith. And so he answers the question, right? By what power and in what name have you performed this miracle? But Paul or Peter doesn't stop there. He goes on to, to proclaim, and there's salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given among men 
by which we must be saved. He's very clear. Jesus is the only means of salvation. To reject Jesus is to reject God. To reject Jesus is to reject salvation. Again, he's essentially saying, religious leaders, you missed the whole point of your faith. Rightly understood, it all pointed to Jesus, their Messiah, but they had rejected the, the one who was the cornerstone. They missed it. Now, Luke doesn't tell us, but if we were in that space at that time, uh, I can imagine that uh, there's some pretty good anger uh, stirring in the religious leaders. It's probably oozing out of them in their body language and, and, and their, their, their look. Peter just declared uh, that the man that they had ruled was a criminal was actually their Messiah. Peter essentially had said that these leaders who controlled the worship in the temple, who controlled all aspects of Jewish religious life, including the high priest who was supposed to be the mediator between God and man, the one who would go into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, uh, they had missed it all. They had missed everything about their faith. They, and, and ultimately saying that they don't know God because they'd rejected their Messiah. They were unsaved people. Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Think about what is actually going on here, right? Think about what had happened the night Jesus was arrested, how these guys had responded, right? Fear, terror, cowardice, they ran. They denied that they even knew him. And yet here they are a few weeks later with this boldness. The Jewish religious leaders knew these men were uneducated. In other words, they didn't have any formal rabbinical training. They were common. They, they were laymen. That's, that's who they were. And yet they spoke with a kind of power and authority, kind of like what they'd seen in Jesus. And so they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And so the leaders are in a quandary. What to do? What do we do? They want to shut down any message about a resurrected Christ they're opposed to the gospel that they're preaching, and yet they cannot deny a miracle has taken place. The man is standing there in good health. So they send Peter and John out to, to deliberate. In verse 17, we see their solution. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they call them and charge them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. I think... They really believed, because of who they were, the Sanhedrin, because of all the power, all the respect that they had from the people, that just commanding them to be silent would be enough. They thought that they could intimidate them into silence. And yet, how wrong they were. Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. In other words, we must obey God, right? He's our authority. He's, a, he's authority above you. They knew that Jesus had commanded them to be witnesses to the resurrection. And they were convinced of the resurrection. They had seen Jesus. And so they literally could not stop speaking about what they had seen or heard. They understood that salvation in Jesus' name was at stake. And so they would not submit to the religious leaders, to stop speaking or teaching in the name of Jesus. 
They were loyal to Jesus. When they'd further threatened and they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. They wanted to punish the people, or to punish Peter and John, but they felt like we can't because everyone around is praising God for this miracle. And uh, to punish Peter and John for the miracle would essentially have been to say, stop praising God. And they didn't, and uh, they, they were concerned about the disruption among the people if they did that. So they threatened and let them go. Now, next week, and we'll look at the end of chapter 4, and we'll see how Peter and John return to, to their, their friends and how they seek God about this, this threat as they begin to pray. But, but I think as we, we see what the early church begins to experience here in their first opposition to the gospel, there are some truths that we see modeled that, that can help us have a kind of boldness and a courage to take the risk of sharing the good news of Jesus, whether we're sitting across the coffee with a friend table, having coffee with a friend, or whether we're in a situation where there really is opposition to the gospel. And uh, I think there's at least three things here that, that can help us have that courage. Here's one. There, there is a higher authority to be obeyed. There's a higher authority to be obeyed. Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. The, the religious leaders could command them all they wanted to stop speaking. But Peter and John understood that they had a higher authority. They had a higher allegiance to God. Jesus had called them to be witnesses, and so they would listen to him instead of the leaders. They would be loyal to Jesus. If we find ourselves in any situation where we're experiencing some kind of pressure to not speak about Jesus, whether that's from friends or family members, or whether it's even a message we tell ourselves. Sometimes we tell ourselves, right, to just be quiet, don't talk about Jesus. If we experience any kind of pressure to not speak about Jesus, we need to remember that there's a higher authority who has called us to share what we know about Jesus. We've been commanded to share this good news, and we should be loyal to him. I do think we probably will increasingly experience cultural pressure not to speak about Jesus. And some of you are in situations right now probably where you're experiencing this. There's someone, there's pressure on you not to speak about Jesus. We have to remember we have a higher authority, God who reigns in heaven. Our loyalty is to Jesus, the one who commanded us to share the good news. I want to say something about what I'm not saying in saying this, and that is just because we have a higher authority, it, it, I'm not saying that gives us a right to be insensitive or unkind in how we present the gospel. Um, there might be situations, there might be times where the most loving, most helpful thing in helping someone take a step closer to Jesus is maybe to be quiet at that moment about what we know about Jesus, right? I, I believe the Spirit wants to lead us in terms of timing and, and where someone else is at. And, and so I think we should be sensitive to that. So I'm not saying that we have a higher authority means we can just barge in with all kinds of insensitivity and share the gospel. We should prayerfully consider how God is leading us in these things. But there is a higher authority that uh, we follow. Secondly, there's a power to be experienced, power of the Holy Spirit. This is not just for Peter and the early church. 
this filling of the Holy Spirit, this, this inspiration from the Spirit, this special strengthening from the Spirit. That is for us in this day as well. The command in Acts 1.8 that, that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be my witnesses. That was not just for the first disciples. That is a promise for us too as we seek to tell what we know about Jesus. The same Spirit dwells within us. And so anytime, whether you're facing opposition or you're sitting across a table from a friend, the same spirit that enabled Peter here to be a witness, he is there with you. He dwells within you. It's not up to your wisdom. It's not up to your eloquence as you seek to share about Jesus. The spirit is there helping. He empowers us. The Gospel of John also says that the Spirit is not only working in our lives, He's working in the world. He's he's working in people around us. John 16 talks about He convicts the world of sin and, and righteousness and judgment. And so when we have the courage to raise a spiritual conversation with someone, we can know that the Spirit of God is equipping and enabling us, and He's at work in convicting the other person's heart. Now let me also say what, what I, I, I'm not saying about this filling of the Holy Spirit. I don't think it means that you might feel bold, that you might feel courageous, that you might feel especially uh, eloquent. Uh, in my experience, typically there's fear and trepidation before I go into a spiritual conversation, but by faith, step into that place, and as I go there, there's a sense of the Spirit is showing up, the Spirit is helping, the Spirit is guiding. I think that's the way it often happens, but there is a power to be experienced. Third, there's a reality that salvation is found in Christ alone. And Peter couldn't be any clearer about this truth. There's salvation in no one else. Jesus came, lived a perfect life, perfect, sinless life, offered his perfect life, a sacrifice for sin, rose from the dead, uh, giving new life. And no one else has done this. No one else has made this provision for sin. No one else who gives new spiritual life. Jesus is the only way of salvation. Staying clear about this, staying clear about this, believing this can really help us live with appropriate boldness, appropriate urgency. We do need to stay clear about this because culturally, I, I, there's this growing pressure like, to, like you're, you're pretty narrow to say Jesus is the only way. You're pretty intolerant to say Jesus is the only way. Culturally, there's sort of this message, aren't all religions the same? Don't all roads kind of get there? Peter's very clear. Salvation is found in Christ alone. We need to stay clear about that, that this is the message that people need to hear. Salvation is found in Christ alone. I know that there's some here probably this morning, here this morning who are, you know, you're trying to figure out what you think about Jesus and God and spiritual things, and, and we're so glad that you're here. My encouragement to you would be to sit with what Peter says. There's salvation in no other name. Salvation is found in Jesus alone. Sit with that. Think about that. Contemplate that. Salvation is not through church attendance. It's not through living a good life. It's not through any other religion. It's not by being born into a church-going family. Salvation is only found in the forgiveness and new life that we find in Jesus Christ. And so I would encourage you to sit with what Peter says and learn about what that means. Uh, talk to me. Talk to one of the pastors. Find one of your Christian friends. Talk to them about it. But, but wrestle with this claim that Jesus is the only way 
of salvation. There's a higher authority to be obeyed. There's a power to be experienced. There's the reality that there's salvation. It's only in Jesus Christ. These are the truths that help Peter and John be bold when they faced opposition to the gospel. It's what the truths that the church will continue as we go through Acts to be bold as they face growing opposition. And I think these truths are what can help us be bold and courageous. Again, whether we're sitting across the table from a friend or whether we're in a situation where there's real opposition to the gospel, these are the truths that can help us be faithful to our calling to be witnesses for Jesus. These are things that can help us stay loyal to Jesus and obey what he's commanded us to do, to share the good news about Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this uh, example of Peter and John as they begin to experience uh, some of the early opposition to the church, uh, to the message of the gospel. And uh, God, thank you that uh, you really are our, our higher authority. And you have commanded us to share what we know about Jesus, to share the story of Jesus, to share uh, the good news. Help us to continue to walk under your authority. Help us to be loyal to you, knowing that you will fill us, you will give us what we need through the Spirit's work in our life. Help us stay clear that there really is no other way that someone enters into a saving relationship with you other than through Jesus. And so may these truths strengthen us, encourage us, give us boldness, a sense of urgency. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Justice and mercy me.